clear up commence bullshit for 15 minutes. Is that how we're starting it? Yeah, why not? That's the very first thing uh, you hear. <laughs> well, welcome to the Handmaiden's Tale review cast. Hey, Rob, I have a small correction for you. You keep on saying the Handmaiden's Tale, and it's actually Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> so it I is figure, a bullshit episode. I, <laughs> I just figure... <laughs> You know, you've only you've done it every time up until now, but I feel like this time you're going to say it a lot, and so you might as well just get it out of the way. But see, now I'm going to feel obligated to mess it up. Oh yeah, that's true. Now you're just going to say handmaidens, yeah, the whole time. (laughs) All right, I'll accept that punishment. No, I probably will just interchange it because my brain doesn't work fully well ever. So like. It's not going to think about it when I'm in the heat of discussion. Anyway, if you didn't already notice, uh, podcast regular Stephen is going to be discussing Handmaid's Tale with us. Hi, everybody. I just had to strongly resist the urge to wave. Uh, dude, don't. I like to. I like to pretend that people can see me. <laughs> just like in general. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm going to start off with a little bit of bullshit first. Okay. Because this was a rare weekend where I actually saw Aaron in person for an extended period of time. But I'm going to start off with a question for Steven. Okay. Ooh, I think I know that. Are question. you a big con person? Do you go to many cons if you get the opportunity to go? I haven't been to any cons that I wasn't invited to perform at in some capacity. Uh-huh. Oh. See, I'm surprised by that. I I would have thought that that you would have been a con type person, but full of surprises. <laughs> what cons have you performed? Um, so, uh, I have some friends in Austin who host this thing called uh, Body Hack, and um, okay, they there was one year where they asked me to come and perform at like like DJ at the after party or whatever, and yeah. Body Hack is a convention for people who are into like. Um, like body mods and transhumanism and also oh. people who are super into like uh like supplements and shit like that basically any way you could modify the human body to make it more than what it starts out as like you, so this is interesting because it sounds to me like this can range from you know uh earrings to bodybuilding well it's like there is there's people there who made prosthetics there's a guy who would like there's a guy who would like if you wanted he would install an rfid chip in your hand i want that (laughs) really yes Um, but oh my god that's cool but then there was also people who were into the like real hyper specific kind of supplements and stuff like taking specific like fatty chain acids or whatever for to get some certain de- desired result or you know people who talk about their stack of you know like um yeah stack yeah, like taking paracetam and shit yeah what about okay. what about like i forget what the name of the thing is but like synth synth synthol or something like that where the dudes injected into their arms to make it look like they've got giant muscles oh, man. hopefully not because that's bad they had, for a, you. they had a fashion segment where there's like uh 
like people who were wearing clothes that would change like to adjust with temperature or like oh. there was one lady wearing some kind of if i remember correctly one lady wearing some kind of garment where like something would happen when happened to the garment whenever there was like an earthquake somewhere in the world yeah really that's interesting that, that seems did, very specific yeah. Rob, did we talk about this? Reminds me a little bit of a video someone sent me of a woman who had built a suit to basically um, track her arousal level. Did you send me that, Rob? It was not me, but that that sounds like a thing I wouldn't want to wear. So, I mean, she made that point too, but she was like, it was more of a like. Can I do it? Yeah, she was kind of like. Uh, the queen of shitty robots. She was kind of like her, except oh. for not shitty. And she wanted to see, like, hey, I've done, I've made little gadgets to track this or track this or to track your insulin or whatever. I wonder if you could make a gadget that tracks arousal. And so she had all these diodes that she put on herself. Um, Do you remember cool. in middle school when you first started getting random erections and it was super awkward because you didn't really know what to do with it in the middle of class? Yes. What if you were wearing a suit that pretty much like, just revealed Brock. that to everyone all the time? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so much for not bullshitting that thing <laughs> But anyway, I want to say a couple things about the, the thing that me and Aaron did this weekend. We went to PodCon. I'm still wearing my bracelet. Um, mostly because I've been too lazy to find scissors to cut it off. Um, I pulled mine off, like beast mode. Oh, did you? They cut. They, usually, you reach under these things and pull the part under. Oh! But they cut no. mine off. Yeah, that was mean. Anyway, a uh, couple things I want to say about PodCon. Um, a lot of my favorite podcasts were there. Uh, one thing that's very specific to this podcast that people don't know about is that generally, before we start recording, Aaron is eating something. True. True. Um. There was, I went to one podcast called Punch Up the Jam, and they revealed that if you listen to all of their episodes, one of the co-hosts eats something during every episode. Like on purpose? As a on shit. purpose, yeah. As like, a, as, as like an Easter egg for the careful listeners. He has the same kind of candy during every say, recording. They're, they're constantly talking about how much candy he eats. Yeah. Interesting. So... That was that was reminded me a lot of you. I wish you had gotten there to hear that because it's usually more subtle than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, just so we know, what I've recently done. I'm a huge candy person as well, but to try to make myself feel like less of a fatty when I eat candy, Rob pulled it off by himself. <laughs> beast mode. Uh, I eat Welch's fruit snacks, but if you look at the back. It's still like 80 calories per thing. So when you eat four, it's still a lot of calories. Because I eat four sugar. packs. Yeah, they still are, yeah, fucking 11 grams of sugar in one pack. That means that I, when mean, I eat four, which I almost always eat four, <laughs> I eat 44 grams of sugar. <sighs> there are 75 grams of sugar in one 8 ounce or 12 ounce can of Fanta orange soda. Oh, so wow. okay, you could be doing worse. Now. That's true. Okay, now I feel good about myself. Plus, here's the thing. You get 100% of your daily value of vitamin C, which we all know is like a bullshit number, um, but that's kind of cool. 
I would like to meet the person that doesn't get 100% of their daily vitamin C need. You have to just only be eating meat all day long to not get 100% of your daily vitamin C. Does that person have scurvy? Yeah, Yeah, they must. They must. Maybe is 100% just the amount you need to not get scurvy? Because I bet it's like 12% is how much you need to not get scurvy. It's like you have to have none. Fun fact about vitamin C... Uh-huh. Not really about vitamin C, but about orange juice. Okay. Orange juice has a lot of citric acid in it, and yeah. so if you drink a great deal of it, which I used to do with a child, your pee will burn. Oh, that hurts. Fun. It's like spewing out citric acid. <laughs> out your dick. You could literally be like a, a venom-spitting lizard if you wanted to be. You're pretty much I alien. I don't know about yeah. literally. <laughs> <laughs> well... Almost literally. You're indistinguishable from a venom spitting lizard. <laughs> yes, there you go. Not literally, but indistinguishably. Going back to punch up the jam, we actually saw Demi, I'm not going to try to say his last name on the podcast. If we were just not record this, I would just say it, but try, uh-huh. but. It's like Ed Digiwebe or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Nice. Have, do you know what he looks like, Steven? He's a strange looking man. He is so short. <laughs> that too. Aaron and I Aaron and I walked past him as you do at the like the conference the cool part of the conference was that we just like saw people. I actually Aaron saw me get starstruck for a moment. I did. Uh, um but but like we walked past Demi and I was like I almost missed him because he was just lower than my line of vision. <laughs> yeah, I realized that I like the podcasts I listen to are all for like old white people. And uh, so I wasn't as familiar with all of the podcasts. I listen to shit, you know, like the New York Times, The Daily, and NPR's More Perfect, which is both, like, not very cool. Yeah, they're probably not going to do The Daily live in front of an audience. It doesn't make a ton of sense to have, like, a five-minute news podcast live. But, yeah, I need to get more into some of these cool ones. I do listen to The Anthropocene Reviewed, so that was cool. Listening to that live, that was cool. Now, and you listened to my brother, my brother and me for the first time I at did. a live showing. I did. What did I, you think? I enjoyed it. Um, I thought, so here's what I thought. Steven and I are both fans of my brother, my brother and me, so we both... All of them are funny in very unique ways, right? Like, the youngest one, he's got that, like, dry... You know, like, pretend to be serious humor. Right? Yeah. Like, whether he is serious or not, I don't know. But he, he always... Is. He pretends kind of to be serious. He does um, that thing where he says stuff that's wrong in an authoritative way yeah. that makes you... If you don't know better, you might think it's true. Exactly. And it's kind of more that dry that dry humor. Travis, he's the middle one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, the middle one. The youngest one is what's his name again? Griffin. 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 How do you yeah. forget the name Griffin and I mean, not I knew, Travis? I, I, it was on the edge of my tongue. Tip, not the edge, the tip. Anyway, Travis, I thought he was probably the funniest, but they said he was more talkative yeah, than I, he normally is. Travis does. Travis talks a lot, but like that one, Travis was like in the episode a lot. I feel like it's because he's... It's like you you gave me some history on him. He used to be a performer, like a live visual performer. And I think he thrives on that. Like part of 
why he was so funny is when he delivers his like making fun of something or pretending almost like the um that one comedian that always pretends to be someone in the audience what's his name jim gaffigan He's always like, that joke wasn't funny. He's always like commenting on himself. He that kind was actually of, kind of a good Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he's kind of like that where he's like, you know, he's talking as if he's somebody else, as if, he, as if he's the person asking the question or what, or if he's like pretending to be Macklemore was pretty funny, I thought. He yeah. did that pretty well. But the reason it was so funny was because of his facial expressions, too. And I think Which gets was, lost in a audio format. Exactly. I think he was thriving on the fact that people were responding really heavily to what he was saying because of his facial expressions. Um, and maybe that was why he was being more talkative. And then I thought the oldest one, what's his name again? Justin. Justin. Um, the one we saw. And we saw, we saw, we, me and Aaron went out to get dinner after the, that evening of podcasts and so we came and the, we went we saw the last podcast of the night and we went to dinner and we came back so it was like well after everything had ended and we walk into the convention center and justin and sydney were just like walking next to us and i couldn't say anything other than justin and sydney <laughs> that's all i could say <laughs> did they hear you yeah yeah justin kind of kept his head down and kept walking but sydney smiled and waved yeah well, I also felt awkward, too, that we were yelling at two people and uh, no one was waving, so I just put up my hand. I didn't even wave. I was just like, put up my hand. Um, we were yeah, walking it, in opposite directions and we just kept doing that. Yeah. Anyway, I thought he was funny, too. Um, I was but, sad that they did a Haunted Doll Watch. I really wanted a Munch Squad because I thought that would have been really that's that it's my favorite segment that they do. Yeah. But we got we got we got Riddle Me Piss and and uh, and uh, uh, Haunted Doll Watch. Mm. <sighs> Steve, yeah. what's your favorite segment on My Brother, My Brother and Me? See, I actually like Haunted Doll Watch. Um, more than Munch Squad. I like Haunted Doll Watch. I just don't like it as much as like Munch Squad. I think I I like, I think I probably like Haunted Doll Watch the most, mm-hmm. and and just mm-hmm. the that and the um, the Yahoo Answers that they do. Oh yeah, yeah, those are pretty good. I don't know if you picked up on that, but Griffin wasn't asking questions from the audience; he was just reading Yahoo Answers questions. Yeah. Did the episode already come out? No, it won't come out. That's for podcast attendees only. Podcon attendees only. It's like everything will only be for like they're going to release a stream of all the podcasts that happened, but they'll only be released to the people who went to Podcon. That's okay. Interesting. That's to encourage people to buy. Like there was another package you could buy that was like the like digital version of the package, which gets you all of the recordings of all of the podcasts. Oh, it's how they fund Podcon essentially. It's I selling see. all of the podcasts that get recorded. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was good. And actually, I really like the Illusionist. Um, I was pretty excited um, because she talked about the the Dvorak keyboard, which is the keyboard layout that I use, and that's just like the most random thing ever. Yeah, she was cool. She was cool. Steven, what are your favorite podcasts? Um, like Rob, I'm also a big fan of. Um punch up the jam and all fantasy mm-hmm. everything oh yeah okay uh, all fantasy everything all fantasy so everything is probably my favorite right now it's the only one that i 
like consistently <sighs> laugh out loud. Um, <laughs> they they're coming to Austin soon. I think you're gonna I go. Should. I should. Um, I like those. I also like some of the like live play D and D ones, like Adventure Zone, mm. and um, I recently started listening to Critical Role, and Critical Role is a live uh, like fifth edition D and D podcast, but all of the people playing it are voice actors. Um, I see. Okay. So cool. it's a lot. Critical Role is also a great name for a D and D podcast. Yeah, it it's, is. It's role spelled R O L E. Oh. Yeah, I mean that's what I was thinking. I'm like, that's that's a really solid name. Yeah. That is solid. But um, they're all voice actors, so they get really into their performances of the characters and stuff. Yeah. So Stephen, I saw you posted a picture of your fifth edition on Facebook. Yeah. Do you do you? How many uh, groups do you play in? I so far none. I'm I've been trying to find one for a minute now. Like. Oh, okay. You should move to Seattle and join ours. <laughs> We were, uh, actually me and my girlfriend went to, like when we went to go buy that, when I went to go buy that and like some dice, um, the comic book store that we went to, the guy there said that, oh yeah, they have people DMing on Sundays and like running various campaigns and stuff. And, uh, but they also said that like, they have some high schoolers that play too. And I'm just like, I'm fucking 30. I don't want to put up with high schoolers. Yeah. And it's oh, it's good. like that, and the fact that it's in a comic book store. Like, I just feel like there's, and this may be an an unfair judgment for me. I see pass. where I think I know where you're like, going. I don't want to have to either stop a game and have a conversation with someone, or try not to have a conversation with someone. Who's like really into Gamergate or something? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to okay. potentially yeah. run into some weird trashy nerd person, and like <laughs> it become an issue. So I've been really trying to find one that my friends are running. And yeah, that's a, have you th- ha- now? Have you played before? Um, the only times I've ever played tabletop, Rob has been present for almost all of them. So like, yeah, played okay. Shadowrun like three or four times, and like one session of Warhammer, and that's about it. But I've played like yeah. every fucking like Wizards of the Coast computer game based on the Thingy. D20 rules yeah. that you can think oh, of. Okay. Like Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights and Icewind Dale and all that shit. Yeah. As Aaron alluded to, we actually I'm I've joined Aaron's D and D group and yeah. in an effort had I'm a D and D neophyte. Like I played some of the games Stephen mentioned just now, but I never got into them. So like I'm even more of a neophyte than he is. Yeah. And so I dropped by because there was a comic book store right next to my bus stop. Oh, and you after went. Work, I went. Okay. To a comic book store to find D and D stuff. Yeah. But they are apparently purely a comic book store. If you're not looking oh, for wow. a comic book, they cannot help you. <laughs> and I was like, how is this like a tenable? business model like comic book stores survive on going about a lot of different nerdy pursuits yeah you have to bring in a wide berth in order to get enough income to keep it open i'm wondering how that's working for them is there enough interest in comic book stores in 2019 that you can open a store in one of the most expensive real estate markets in the country and stay (laughs) open possible although they might already own their real estate from like 30 years ago you know just be paying taxes on it or something 
So did you eventually find the books you were looking for? I have not. I was going to buy a player's handbook and some dice so I could like at least read through the player's handbook and then when I come to these sessions, they don't have to explain literally everything to me. Just do I'm hoping. Just Amazon it. That's what I did. Yeah, but I try to support local when I can. Honestly, Rob, I think you're already better at it than I am because I still ask Andrew when he's like... <laughs> Roll, roll an investigation. I'm like, how much do I add to it? <laughs> do you say it in that voice? Fuck, no, kind no of that's, because, that's actually his character's voice, yeah. Yeah. No, I do ask it that way because I'm trying to like call attention to the fact that, yes, it's been two years and I still don't know what fucking modifiers to add to my goddamn investigation checks. <laughs> Before we get into Handmaid's Tale, props. I just nailed props. it. Props. Props. I. I'm. I. It's just. I you didn't make with, any face. Like I was waiting for like a face or some type of acknowledgement that I didn't I fuck figured, it up. I figured like at this point, if I keep acknowledging it, you're just gonna feel too proud of yourself. I need positive reinforcement, <laughs> otherwise I get very sad. Hey, Rob. <clears throat> good job, buddy. Here's a thumbs up. Every time you say it right, thumbs up. Before we get into this, we're going uh-huh. to spoil. The shit out of Handmaid's Tale, and who knows what else we're going to compare it to, which will be True. in the show notes when it's going to get spoiled, but I don't know yet what will be spoiled. So just, just be aware. Just be aware. Handmaid's Tale definitely will have spoilers. Probably. And I'm, I can think of a couple other books that might be similar in some ways that might get spoiled, but until they do... Alright. So... Uh, my quick impression of the book, if I'm going first, sure. unless someone else wants to go first badly. Go for it. I did not like it. <laughs> I had a really hard time focusing on it because it wasn't very interesting. So, like, normally with the last two books we read, I would, like, listen all the way on the bus to work, and I wouldn't feel bored. I would feel, like, interested, and then I would be sad that I had to pause it when I got to work and I just wanted to keep listening, whereas this one I felt like I, I trudged through a lot. Okay. I have more thoughts than that, but I'll let you guys say your, your quick spiel first. Steven, do you want to go next, or do you want me to? Yeah. Um, I, for a novel that I would compare to The Scarlet Letter as being similar, in... in, in tone i guess and in not in tone but i don't know kind of similar i thought it was good um however i'm not a huge like scarlet letter ethan from like these things that are trying to like show you uh, i like just the good old fantasy let's get some wizards and kill some shit um (laughs) so i thought but i thought it was good i enjoyed it I do agree with Rob that there were two the, the two big things for me was that it was kind of slow and when it got interesting it happened and then it was over right like I feel like that it took too long to get to the parts where she is meeting with the commander uh, extracurricularly if you want to put it that way and talking with Serena Joy about how to get pregnant and meeting up with Nick like I feel like all that stuff it took like 60% of the book to get to and then that shit's warming up and then all of a sudden it's over and she gets taken away and presumably es- starts to make an escape right I felt like that was too quick 
But I also felt like while that shit was happening, when I was like getting excited, I was like, eh, I'm still a little bored. You know? So I give it a I give it a, a four though. I enjoyed it. Four out of what? Five. Oh, okay. I was like out of ten, that doesn't sound like you enjoyed it. No, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Um I and did you did either of you actually like read read it? Yeah, I did both. Oh, okay. I just did the audiobook. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh I read it on my phone, I read it on my Kindle app or whatever. Um Yeah. I enjoyed it. Um I particularly liked all the like social dynamics of how everything worked. Um, I get what you're saying. I get what you're both saying about it being boring. I think it was that way intentionally. Mm. Like, I feel like, uh, I feel like the author, uh, Margaret Atwood, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like Atwood was, was trying to like instill some kind of, sense of like mm. monotony and being just like the main character being yeah. like stupefied by how limiting her position in life is just like she has yeah, nothing okay. to do there's sometimes where she just lays there and waits for something to happen to her because that's all she can do yeah, yeah okay. I agree with you wholeheartedly and I thought it was interesting that it was written in a style that was like I like for most of the book I envisioned the main character whose name is Afred writing this b- book down, writing all these thoughts down because it was written in this kind of juvenile, like what you would imagine someone who hasn't written very much would do, which is probably the case because this character isn't allowed to write, so she probably has no practice. So she's it's writing in kind of like a juvenile way, and then at the end of the book they reveal that they're tapes, they're recordings. Yeah. So that makes less sense to me that her her speaking style would be. So, like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then me, and then I, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this, where there's no, like, flow. There's not, like, there's, there wasn't, yeah. like, a flow to, like, the, the the style of writing, which is clearly a deliberate choice, and maybe what Stephen is saying is trying to instill monotony. I hadn't thought of that. But that is definitely what it does, whether or not that was intentional or not. I don't know. But I do think, so, because I, I forgot to say this, my favorite part, though, was the writing. I felt like it was almost poetic, and I think one thing that the audiobook did better for me, and the the uh, speaker was Claire Danes, she recited it almost like a poem in some set, especially sections where she would be repeating how this thing made her feel like five times or ten times in different ways of like presenting it to you. And Claire Danes read it in a very poetic way that made it... You like that same thing about Infinite Jest, too. I did. I did. Like, (laughs) honestly, there's something really fascinating about authors whose writing is actually interesting. You know? Like, say what you will about the plot. But, like, the way it was written, I find really, really awesome, in my opinion. Like, I I think she's a great writer. And I think she made it very poetic, which, which was cool. That's very Margaret Atwood style. Like I've also read uh, Oryx and Crake by her, and uh, oh, okay, she she has an interesting combination of like being very like dry and matter of fact, and then it'll suddenly get like very prose heavy, and then it'll go back to being dry and matter of fact. Ah, uh, okay. So let's take a step back and say what the book is 
for the people who didn't read it and are for whatever reason still listening. Mm, I would say, and tell me if this is too politicized for you guys, is that this is an exploration of what would happen if there was a total, wait, a takeover of the U.S. government by the far right religious right. That's accurate. I think so, it's yeah, it's it's fairly accurate, but more but to the heavy extreme. Yeah, it's like the most extreme version of what could possibly happen. So yeah. what happens is... Like Mike Pence took over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so kind of what happened in this in this world is that the a group of religious people take over the U.S. government. They rebrand the United States to be called the Republic of Gilead. And then they institute laws like they admonish all divorces. So if you ever got divorced, you're no longer divorced and you're married to your first partner again. And... It becomes very, uh, like very patriarchal. Yeah. Patriarchal men take over. Women have essentially no real rights, um, and for whatever reason, they don't really get into the reasons why. But the fertility rates are very, very low in this society, so yeah. that women who can give birth—and by the way, it's law in the society that men can't be sterile. If someone's not getting pregnant, it's a woman's fault. That's yeah. a law yeah. in the society. Um, and so women who can have babies are very precious. And the women who behaved badly before the government takeover and can have babies essentially become sex slaves to powerful men. And they're called handmaids. Um, they're basically like concubines. And if you're at, like familiar with the Bible, uh, and now I'm going to blank on the fucking name, but there's like Jacob or somebody, somebody's going to correct me, but there's a person in the Bible whose wife is too old and she can't get pregnant. And so God and the wife are like, it's cool, man, just do the handmaid and, and get a son that way. And that's how you got the whole like Ishmael on one side and whoever else on the, I, I have to look it up, but they're basically like, it's fine. The Bible says this is how it's supposed to be. You know, if if the wife can't get pregnant, then you'll just have your handmaid beget your children. The thing I want to say after all that is that, like, the world that Atwood creates is very interesting. And I would mm. like... I would like to read a book from, say, of Glenn's perspective or of Nick's perspective, because the main character in this book, of Fred is her name, is kind of a coward... So, like, we don't really get to see very much of the world because she's still very much playing the role that she's supposed to play. And even though she gets out of that a little bit here and there, I feel like there was a lot... Like, I want to explore this world more. And I feel yeah. like... Like, oh, like so, there's of Glenn. So, in this world, the handmaids are never allowed to be alone. So, when they go shopping for their household, they always go shopping with another handmaid. And so, the handmaid that she's shopping with is named of Glenn. And that character is part of a, like, resistance against Gilead's rule. And so, and she's active in that resistance. So, I would like to see more of what she did. And then her owner, uh who presumably his name is Fred. We don't, it's never actually explicitly stated in the book, but it's presumed that his name is Fred. Has a chauffeur, and that chauffeur seems, but it's never really made totally clear if he's part of the resistance as well, but there's a lot that leads you to believe he might be. 
I would like to kind of see what his perspective on all of this is. Those both seem like far more interesting characters than the one that the book actually focused on. Yeah. I can see that, but I also did enjoy, like, how, since it was from Fred's perspective, the resistance was something, like secretive and she didn't really know a whole lot about it and it made it like you i feel like i got the sense of like how much danger was involved to even like see how far the resistance went because there was also all the government spies that were around the the eyes mm-hmm. and so she like it seemed like the entire time she was never quite sure if the resistance was real or if she was basically like being tricked into doing something illegal by like government spies. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. But I mean, I, th- I see where Rob's coming from. And I think part of it is very deliberate by Atwood to one, make you kind of yearn for that extra knowledge. Like even towards the end, you, you only get her repressed perspective of the society and like the 15 or 20 minutes of reading of the historical impression that people in 200 years have of the society. It should be stated that the end of the book, the last chapter of the book Mm. is like a, a guy who has found these tapes that of, of Fred has left kind of reflecting on what they meant from that former society. Cause they're talking as if Gilead fell apart. They never really say that, but that's like kind of like, because they're like a Canadian professor, so they're talking about Gilead as if it was some extremist takeover that didn't work out, but they don't really explore that very much. But anyway, it should be said that the last chapter of the book is from far distant in the future, a professor having found these tapes, kind of speculating on what this all meant. So, like, the whole book, you you feel like this is all, like, an actual accounting of what happened, and then you find out at the end that there's actually some question about, like, how real it all really was. Yeah. Like, Gilead obviously existed, but they don't know that of Fred necessarily did. Yeah. Just to correct myself earlier, it was Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Isaac, and Ishmael. So Abraham was all married to Sarah, but, and, and like, Abraham was supposed to, like, you know, be the father of the chosen people or some shit. And, but Sarah couldn't have kids, so Sarah was like, screw it, do Hagar, the handmaid. And so then they have Ishmael, but then later Sarah does get pregnant and they have Isaac. And that's the whole, supposedly, the whole, you know, Jews versus Muslim descendants. Um, I feel like, so the book was written in 1985. And... One of the sense that I got from it, while I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed 1984, I got a little bit of a sense that like 1984 uh, was a little bit of a of an influence on The Handmaid's Tale, in that you know 1984 begins very in medias res, right? Right in the middle of this guy's ran like average shitty life under the uh, big brother, right? And that's kind of how Handmaid's Tale begins. Like you don't know anything, you just begin. 
and you slowly learn a little bit about what's going on through the eyes of that main character. Now, in my opinion, 1984, I love the ending. Like, maybe so we don't have to write spoilers. Like, I just love the progression of 1984 and how how great crazy it gets. Um, but I get a little bit of a sense that she maybe was sitting there thinking, you know, 1984 was written, I forget when it was, like in the 50s or something. I don't remember. But, you know... I think she sat down and was like, what do I foresee? Like, if something extreme happened, what might it look like today, you know? And so I get a little bit of a sense that she took that premise of if the extreme personality of our pathos in 1950 goes far one direction, what could it look like in 30 years? She was kind of doing the same thing uh, in The Handmaid's Tale. of like, what would happen in this, like, if this extreme, like, religious right pathos kind of took hold um and and so i i thought that was kind of cool and i did get some of the prose felt similar to some of the prose the monotonous prose in 1984 as well um which i thought was cool yeah the the 80s were like the advent of sleazy televangelist preachers so yep. it was like she was taking that specific culture and being like, what if yeah. they murdered all of Congress as well, president? Yeah, and it was also the advent of pol- politicians being way more swayed by the religious right than they ever had in the past. Like, I mean, even segregation and things like that, it, there wasn't a lot of like religious aspects to it, but Reagan was famously pro life. Yeah. Until the Christian right, like, basically said, unless you, like, we're not voting for you unless you're pro, or sorry, he was pro choice. Sorry, I said that wrong. Reagan was pro choice, uh, like, when he was a governor of California or whatever it was. But he became pro life when he was basically browbeaten by the, the Christian right. And so it was also a very, like, one of the biggest advents of that sect of, you know, a political organ, like, body really pushing their agenda on mainstream politicians. So I've seen the first two episodes of the show. Have either of you guys watched the show at all? I haven't. And I really want to watch it now, although it's on, what is it on? Netflix. Hulu. Oh, is it on Hulu? Hulu. It's Hulu. Oh, oh I don't have Hulu, but like, what? Um, I feel like they probably change a lot in the show because I remember when, um, the show first came out and people were watching it. I remember a lot of, like, uh, my women friends talking about it and like how they were struck by. They were like, I could totally see this happening to our country at some point whereas like reading the book i'm like that doesn't seem like it's as close as people who watch the the tv show and were like oh yeah this could happen in like 10 years yeah so i don't know much about how the tv show is different but the one thing i have read about the tv show is that they give uh fred's real pre name so that's going to make a pretty big departure from the book yeah, right off the bat. That is a departure. So I will say there are things that happen 60% of the way through the book that happen in the first 10 minutes of the first episode of the show. 
Um, my guess, based on what I'm watching, is that um, they're going to kind of make Gilead a smaller part of the country. And that's why they, they're saying they could see this happening, right? It's pretty clear by the end of the book that Gile- the Republic of Gilead was the entirety of the United States except for like parts of northern Maine that Canada kept control of or something like that. But like other than that, Gilead, it sounds like is most of the United States. And what I'm wondering is if, because I've seen some clips that make it look like there's going to be her more part of a resistance than she ever was in the books. And maybe like, I've seen some trailers that look like that. And so I'm wondering if it's going to be a smaller part of the country and she escapes or something like that. Like, I don't really know yet. I haven't seen it all, but the first, like, it seems like the first and second episodes are trying to get as much of the book out of the way as possible. And so it seems like they want to take the seed of the book and turn it into a full, like, like turn it into what its logical conclusion might be. Like, um, what already happens in the first and second episodes that are, aren't until, like, way later in the book? Um, so, her talking to Nick at all, <laughs> that happens pretty much later. Um, the scene where they beat the shit out of that guy, yep. that's that's way later in the book. Yeah. That's like in the middle of the first episode. Oh, wow. Um, finding out that of Glenn is part of a resistance is like in the first or second episode. Or part of a resistance. So it's like it, it moves you up there pretty quick. Whereas like the first half of the book, it's just pointing out how shitty it is. Right? And and the reason why I'm comparing it like to the book so heavily is like there are shows where the first season is the first book. And what comes to mind for me is Game of Thrones. That fucking first season is literally an identical copy of the first book, no question. They start to change it up a little bit later, where the second season is only most of the second book and stuff like that. But that season two book is exactly the same. And that's definitely not the case. And so what I'm wondering is if she is going to be hanging out with the commander... Uh, doing Nick every night by the fourth or fifth episode and then sixth episode onward is going to be new shit that's like expanding on what we what we've read in the book so now let me let me just defend the show that I haven't watched at all Uh can you imagine receiving this book and being like make a tv show out of this there's Uh, just not that much material there for a tv show because like so much of the book is in her head that like how do you televise that? You have to kind of like take a lot of creative like liberty with yeah. this book to make a TV show that's more than five episodes. So this isn't a criticism. This is to say I kind of think that's what their entire goal was all along, right? It's not as much of a criticism because I think, yeah, I, I wouldn't make a TV show out of this book ever. So the thing, next thing I want to ask is, there's a second book coming out this year. Do you think you will read it? I might. I'm 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 intrigued. Um Yeah, I'd probably read it. Based on the last chapter of this book, I'm wondering cuz it kind of like it seems like the ba- the way this book ended, there's nothing else from of Fred to be found. So like 
there's no trace of her after this in the future. So is the second book going to still be from Alfred's perspective? Or is it going to be a prequel? A sequel? Will it be a different character? Are we going to find out what happened to Alfred? Because it wouldn't totally surprise me at all based on kind of how this book progressed if the second book doesn't ever mention Alfred. So you'll never find out what happened to her. Like, I don't think that would be beyond what that would, me, would okay, do. Okay, so have you ever... Have you ever read Foundation series, either of you? No. You've asked me this, like, every oh. time we've had a book review. Fuck. Okay. Because <laughs> it's a really interesting thing, where in the first chapter of the first book, there's a character who basically thinks that the universe is fucked, and he is going to set some things in motion that will make sure the universe doesn't get fucked. And he explains what is going to happen. He says, this will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen. And then... Everything from there on out is stuff happening in in history moving forward, right? So it'll jump 200 years and have five chapters. And then it will jump 200 years and have five chapters or whatever. So it would be kind of interesting um, if, she had, if she does something like that, where it's maybe a prequel or if it's a sequel, then it's like 50 years in the future. Like what has changed? Maybe it's a different handmaid or if it's a different... You know, it's a commander or it's a Martha or whatever it is. Um, that would be kind of interesting. Um, if I think whether I read it or not will be if I watch because I'm going to probably watch the show. It's next up on my list. I'm going to watch the show. And um, when people read the book, if it's like, oh, it's like the show, then I probably won't read it. But if they're like, no. The show went one direction and the author's going a different direction. Then I might be more interested in reading it and seeing seeing what she has to say about the, the world that she built. Rob, what's your five-star review? Steven's mention of the monotony being intentional to kind of like show what society feels like from someone in it kind of swayed me a little bit because I hadn't thought of it. I just thought it was bad um <laughs> yeah because like i fell asleep multiple times while listening to this book so let me put it this way there's a lot of books like that and i think it's it's hard it can be hard to appreciate them right ethan from i hated reading that book and a lot of it was shitty and slow and monotonous but there is a strong argument to be made that that was purposeful Right. So. That was one of the only books I read all the way through in high school, and I cannot literally tell you one thing about it. I remember there was something that was read, and it had some significance. Do you guys still own your copy of it? No. Okay. Fun fact, I never owned a copy. I just read the notes online. <laughs> so, I distinctly remember reading, I think, the foreword of the copy of the book that I had and whoever, uh-huh. whoever wrote it specifically mentions how it's a shame that the book is taught as part of like high school reading curriculum because it's not subject matter that anyone at that age could possibly appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, you're like in ninth grade yeah. fucking reading this forward. Like, well, <laughs> fuck you. I'm going to appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, my uh, star review, 
I went from a two out of five to a two point five out of five. Okay. During this during this recording. Okay. How about you, Steve? Um, I'd give it like a four out of five. I really enjoyed it. Um, some things about it that I enjoyed. Um, I like dystopian fiction. Um, mm. like I haven't read the book, but the movie Children of Men is really good mm. about this. Um, and so is this book. I like dystopian fiction where um, there's little to no direct exposition and people just like explaining how society works now. It's just kind of on the periphery and you kind of figure it out yourself and they like yes. drop little bits of information here and there. Like they hint that the birth rate is super low and there's all these deformities and stuff because there was some kind of uh, ecological disaster, like worldwide ecological disaster, but they don't really yeah. go into detail about it because you don't need to. And you actually don't even know if that's true, right? Right. It just might be. Or like, uh, just like stuff that they mention offhand that like, if you're not really paying attention, you can kind of miss it. Like they talk about. Uh, Honest. So go uh, ahead. I was going to say like on the, like on the news or something, they mentioned something about how, the children, uh, the children of Ham were all like removed from the country, and the children of Ham is what Mormons used to refer to black people. Um, mm. Previously, they don't do that anymore. But when, like, when Mormonism started, black people were not allowed in the church because of the biblical story of Ham, uh, where like. Ham and all of his descendants, for some reason, I don't know the entire Bible story, but like they were cursed to have dark skin. And uh, so in the book, when they like, there's just one line about something that happened to the children of Ham. I'm like, oh shit, they removed all black people from their society. This was this was in um, Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I completely missed that, or I just didn't, I just didn't know that reference. Oh, yeah. But you remember the news when they listen to the news, right? Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. When they said that we're going to listen to the news on the in the book, I was like, okay, shit. Like, something that this newscast is going to say is going to be important. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in the book. And so when they said Children of Ham, I had no idea what that was. So I looked it up. So I was like, that seems like the bit here that I needed to know. So, yeah. Um, I also really enjoyed... Um, it, it really scratched my like sociologist itch. I liked the, I liked the social dynamics in the book. Like I like how they, they segregated women in such a way that each different class of women had something that the other classes of women would potentially resent them for. And so hmm. it like prevented, and it seems like it was intentional so that it would prevent any kind of like group like solidarity between women because they're so segregated that like each group had something about like the other group that they didn't like they kind of like divided and conquered them yeah um and i thought it was also like really ironic um about how serena joy they they said something about the fact that she clearly missed the freedom she used to have being someone who was like on TV yeah. and like singing all the time and like promoting this world. And then when she actually got to live in it, she was like, Oh fuck, this sucks for me too. 
I actually, one of the things that I loved about that was it was actually a pretty poignant point that she was a talking head on TV, mm-hmm. a talking head woman, talking about how women should be staying at home with their children. And yet, it, so it was like such an oxymoron for her to have been saying that on TV, which is kind of a pretty poignant point when you like see people talking on TV and it's like, oh, this feminism is bad or whatever. And like, we should be taking care of what, what about the family unit or whatever? And it's like, Sean Hannity, you're not at home with your family. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, or whatever. Like I felt like the point was that kind of, uh, that kind of like, that kind of patriarchy or like patriarchy in general, like, if you're a woman, even if you're in support of the system, it's still going to fuck you over anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so one thing I was going to say about what you said um, about how you just have to pick up tidbits mm-hmm. about like what's going on. I feel like that's something that's essential for me regardless of the genre. I mean, unless you're talking about like a historical, mm-hmm. you know, fiction or something like or like 1776 where you're, they're supposed to just be flooding you with information, any type of fiction, I feel like pretty much requires that the author not have this direct exposition because I feel like it assumes that you're an idiot. Right? Like that's one thing and that's actually one of the things that and that's why Rob was saying the same thing. That's one of the things I liked about Infinite Jest and one of the things I liked about this too. Like there isn't direct exposition. There's just like these little tidbits of information that you need to pick up to to help you like create in your mind what's actually going on. And the number one thing I hate is when authors directly tell you things because it's just like, come on, can you not come up with a more creative way of building this world than just spewing it at me? By the way, everyone's sterile because X. By the way, women have to be handmaids. By the way, like it's just like Jesus. This is so on the nose. It's it's not exciting to read anymore. Exactly. The other thing that I meant to m- mention about the book that I kind of thought was was as Aaron was saying another poignant point is Moira's character, who is this like wild free spirit lesbian, like I fight the power, hates men, and then. When we finally find her, she's content to essentially be an un, a sex slave in a brothel. Yeah. So, like, they've completely beaten her down to the point where, like, she's content doing having sex with men, which she, against yeah. her will. Like, it's just, like, it just shows, like, the fall of this, this character that the, of Fred, like, so admired for her tenacity and her spirit and her willingness to be open and and in like present in the society that may not be open and present for her but she just fought it and then we find out that they've they've kind of destroyed her as well yeah and i thought that was a very sad moment when she was like oh it's not so bad like that was when she said that i was like oh that's really sad yeah Yeah. (laughs) so that actually is again another thing that reminds me of 1984 you experience that from the main character's perspective in 1984. Um, and for whatever reason, Margaret Atwood had you just... It was kind of almost more sharp, you know? The way it just like hits you like a fucking sack of bricks, right? Um, like you watch the main character go through that beating down in 1984. Whereas in this, it's just like you you see her and now she's no longer the person that she was before. It's just like she was a symbol of hope in the book. Like 
of Fred and for the Fred narrator's the entire time. Yeah, of Fred for Fred Moira and and of Fred's mother mm-hmm. were like symbols of hope, and then like throughout the book, those both get destroyed, and it's just like it seems so fucking hopeless. Like it yeah. just seems so bad and i just like i i at those moments i was like aware of how i was feeling so hopeless and i was like okay the book's done its job here <laughs> that's what that's that's what it was trying to make me feel and i feel it uh, yeah that's true <laughs> um i'm looking i actually highlighted some different parts of this that i thought were interesting um there's one part where she's talking about the commander and it's the first time where they have their like family meeting kind of thing where they all have to come into the room and he says like the benediction. Oh yeah. And uh, she's talking about how uh, says he takes out a pair of reading glasses from inside his jacket pocket, gold rims, slips them on. Now he looks like a shoemaker in an old fairy tale book. Is there no end to his disguises of benevolence? And I thought that was really interesting because like a lot of these, um, these group that are all about like traditional family values and stuff like they'll do really heinous shit, but they'll dress it up. Like they're, they're, they're just looking out for you and and they know what's best. Like they're, they're always trying to pretend like they're your dad and they're, they're, they're just looking out for you. And the kind of like, this hurts me that more than it does you kind of attitude. And, And they're so full of shit. I'm sorry that I gotta put you in jail for a little bag of weed. It hurts me yeah. more than it hurts and, you. And they're, oh, fuck you! They're <laughs> always wearing these these like disguises, like they're pretending to be nice people or just like some old grandfatherly figure. And um, yeah, I thought that was yeah. really poignant. Um, what are some other ones? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. There are some there are several parts where it sounds like they're quoting the Bible that I highlighted, and I didn't go Ooh. in like look up those quotes but a lot of them i was like i don't think this is a real bible verse or it's been altered somehow it's been altered yeah, yeah and, and even of fred kind of picks up on that and she's like i don't think that's what it really said <laughs> yeah there's one one of the things that i thought was interesting um which didn't really make sense to me is one of the quotes that they read that was quote from the bible unquote was um Basically, the the famous line from, uh, what is the book Marx wrote? Uh, shit, I forget the name of the book, but it's like uh, to each according to her need, from each according to her ability. Yeah, something like that. Which is which is like the famous line, one of the famous lines from whatever book he wrote. Wikipedia is saying it's from. His 1875 critique of the Gotha program. Oh. The to each according to his needs. So. Yeah, okay. It's, the real quote is from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. What was it in the book? Yeah. It was the same except for instead of his, her. Oh. And it was in reference to why she was a handmaid and Martha's were Martha's and wives were wives. Mm-hmm. Right? Like she had. Uh, you know, functioning womb, a functioning so had to womb. Be, yeah, had to be a handmaid. Um, and I thought that was that was interesting because the the totalitarians didn't really, except and maybe this is kind of her point is like 
the society itself was not very socialist or communist, but they were socialist and communist about their usage of women. Right? Like, the goods themselves, it's like the commander had, like, more tickets than other people. And, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was supposed to be communist. But I felt like it was more about how the women were segregated into the into an equal distribution, mm-hmm. right? Of these women are Marthas, these women are handmaids, these women are wives, and they're communist or socialist about how the women perform their duties is what the what I took from it. We explored a lot of how this society sucks nuts for women, uh-huh. but it seemed like for the non-commander men, it also kind of sucked. Because they talked to her, like, early in the yeah. book, when of Fred is walking past those two guardians, oh, yeah. she's talking about wanting to be sexy for them because she knows that they haven't gotten laid in forever because they're not allowed to have sex with women because they're not of a high enough status. Yeah. So she's like, she doesn't know why she enjoys, like, kind of flaunting herself in a giant red dress, but she, like, enjoyed it a little bit. And then, like, same thing for, like, Nick, where, like, he's a chauffeur, he's got this tiny little living space. And so, like... Yeah. That's like, true. It's... I mean, obviously it's words for women. I'm not trying to say it, but it's like, I want to explore... I I don't know. I just want to explore this world more. Like, I want... Like, it's an interesting world that is created... And I would like more stories from it, I guess. So, You might like the show. I mean, I, I think they worked in tandem with Margaret Atwood, so there might be some more information there about, you know, where she was thinking about expanding it, and then you can get some of that from the show. At the risk um, of this podcast running long, because it's already long, Yeah, I have a question for both of What's you. That? Okay. What would a near-future dystopian novel look like if it were from the perspective of an extreme far-left takeover of the government? Oh, um... Everyone's... Everyone's guns would have been taken away. Um, Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Like, uh... The birth rate goes to zero because everyone gets abortions. Yeah, like a- yeah. atheism is the state religion. <laughs> yeah. Um, people, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like I, I have a hard time even thinking of it without like accidentally saying something offensive. <laughs> I just like I'm trying to think of what that like in my head. I'm trying to think of what that world would look like. In a dystopian way, but in my head, it kind of all works out. So I don't really. <laughs> well, like, I mean, no it one depends would be allowed on how to far have left... personal property or private property, and like everyone would be forced yeah. to wear the exact same thing so that nobody got jealous of anybody else. And yeah, it would maybe kind of look a little bit like Equilibrium. If you've ever seen that movie, it's... everyone wears the same things. They're like taking medicine to tamp their emotions. Um, the island. Yeah, so I, I don't just know. inside I, the island colony, not like the outside one. I'm just talking about like inside the island colony for the people I actually who see that movie. Disagree that you couldn't say that you would say it's like it's not bad. I think it's because you're taking it to your logical conclusion. Not yeah, like you're right. A true leftist lot, like like honest, honestly, 
you'd have to say that a completely are... communist society would be as far left as you can get, right? Yeah, and if it... so, there would be nothing private. Everything would be public. Yeah, and as you approach that, like there are obviously downsides, and you could oh, make yeah. the argument that you know, especially in countries like China, it may not be dystopian, but you can already see some of the pain from that. Where yeah, it's great that you get, quote, free, unquote, internet from the government, but that the government also very heavy-handedly uh, controls what information you're able to get from that internet, right? So there's an argument to be made that capitalist internet sucks because it's more expensive, but then, you know, when you socialize it, there's a, not saying that it will happen, but a, a larger risk of that possibility because there's a centralization point. Um why isn't that book written? Why isn't there some far right author there out there <laughs> saying, there "Here's the answer"? Is, isn't Atlas Shrugged supposed to be about that? Isn't like Ayn Rand like the the libertarian? Uh, but I don't think I she don't writes know, about goddess. it like a. That's true. That's true. She doesn't write it in like a dystopian way. But I, I mean, I think there. In my opinion, it's you can go both because I would I would say. 99% of people who would ascribe, quote-unquote, to the Christian right would not be in favor of going that far. Right. I'm, yeah, right. This is, we're, going, we're going as far extreme as you could possibly imagine. Right. And when you go as far extreme as you can possibly imagine either way, at a certain point you start to get negatives. You know? Um, and, you know, I think part, that's that's one of the interesting things here, too, is that um, you kind of have to ask people that because they say things like, or, or what did What's-His-Face get in trouble for? Ben Shapiro just got in trouble the other day. I don't find that surprising. What did he, oh, he was at a Right to Life rally, and he said something about how no none of us pro-life people would kill baby Hitler. And I don't know why the fuck he even said it. I honestly don't know why he even got in that much trouble for it. It's like, yeah, obviously he's going to say shit like that. He's Ben Shapiro. That's like what he says. How Did is he this? get in trouble with his base or did he get in trouble with the left? He got Because if he got in trouble with the left, he didn't get in trouble because that's his constant He got state. in trouble with uh, the left slash his two of his sponsors. So, so two of its sponsors are pretty much coming out and saying that they would kill baby Hitler. Yeah, and, and that, but <laughs> kind of a weird stance to have to take. But they were obviously okay <laughs> with all the other shit that he said, right? Uh, but that's the whole point here. It's like obviously, if you're pro-life, if you take it to a logical conclusion, it's and you, but you pretend to be like, no, all life is sacred, like. If you really take that to its logical conclusion, it's ridiculous, right? Just like if there are people who are pro-choice, but not just pro-choice, they literally want more abortions, right? They're, and like if you take that to its logical conclusion, that's going to be ridiculous as well. And so I think it's better – it's kind of cool to explore extremes like this so that in a conversation you can tell people – no, seriously, like take your – what you just said, take that sentence and bring it to its logical conclusion. Like how far are you willing to go with what you just said, right? And then and then you start to say, okay, yeah, I don't actually believe that all life is sacred. There is a point at which you have to be reasonable. 
I don't really want to kill baby Hitler. Can we kill, like, teenage Hitler? Because, like, killing a baby just seems even cruel for Hitler. Like, let's Maybe. let him, like, 13-year-old Hitler. There is a dude who had a chance to kill young Hitler in World War One, And he distinctly remembers seeing Hitler as, like, a German soldier. And he had the opportunity to kill him. And Hitler just looked so pathetic and confused that he spared him. And even Hitler remembers that dude doing that. Oh, yeah. really? And that guy felt so wow. fucking bad when Hitler became <laughs> the dictator of Germany. And he was like, holy shit, yeah. it's that dumbass little kid who I could have shot. <laughs> and like Hitler That's remembers that middling. dude in his memoirs. So he was like, yeah, I remember when that happened. Wow. Yeah, that's nuts. I think... It's important though, because it's kind of it's the same thing with saying that you're for socialist socialism or you're you know for leftist policies. It's like yes, but I think most people who are quote for socialism unquote are not for like pure socialism, right? They're they're for like I am socializing certain segments of our of our society, right? Socializing medicine, socializing maybe uh, housing to a degree or energy to a degree. We already socialize most water. We socialize defense, right? It's, it's that. It's taking and, and socializing things that work well being socialized. And you guys talking about this kind of like made it occur to me um, when you're talking about how it seemed like the society even sucked for a lot of the men and also how I was talking about how it ended up sucking for Serena Joy, even though she supported it initially. Um, it reminded me of this uh, this talking point that a lot of people who are uh, like in favor of getting rid of like toxic masculinity and like the patriarchy in the United States is that patriarchy hurts everyone. Like, no matter who you are, even if you're a man, it mm. still sucks for you unless you're, like, part of a very small group of very Upper echelon. people. And, like, yep. that, that thought didn't even occur to me until you guys started talking about it. Interesting. And one, one of the last points I wanted to make was, um, there's one quote in here. She says, uh, but if you happen to be a man sometime in the future and you've made it this far, please remember, mm. you will never be subject to the temptation or feeling you must forgive a man as a woman. It's difficult to resist, believe me. But remember that forgiveness is too is a power. To beg for it is a power. And to withhold or bestow it, it, it is a power. And like I've, I have seen that shit in action. Like There are tons of men who, when they fuck up and they get called out for it instead of actually giving a genuine apology and trying to correct their behavior. They immediately start to just like debase themselves and just be like, Oh, I'm such a shitty person. Mm -hmm. I'm just a piece of shit. I can't do anything right. And they just lay this huge guilt trip on you until you're like, okay, I forgive you. And, but they haven't changed at all. And they're still going to do the same shit. And it reminds me of like all these, like comedians and performers who are getting called out for stuff and like as soon as they experience even any remote negative consequences tons of people are already are like immediately like hasn't he suffered enough already and i'm like no absolutely yeah. not <laughs> 
So I don't know how much the amount of suffering should be, but I think that's a that's actually a really good point because it's an it's a uh, it's an easy defense, right? To be all pathetic, yeah, right. It's almost like Steve King the other day when he was apologizing for what he said about when he said white. When did white nationalism become a bad <laughs> word or whatever? And in his apology, he was basically like, "I'm sorry. How? I mean." I just sometimes I say things and I was like, who the fuck? What are you talking about, man? Like, that's not an apology. That's you basically trying to explain away the fact that you're you're saying you're not a racist, but your vocal cords are like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, <laughs> I just think they had a really good point that like there is there is a certain amount of power in being able and it's I feel like it's directed at women specifically in regards to men's shitty behavior to beg for forgiveness because there's like this weird, like also implied threat behind that begging for forgiveness. And it's just kind of yeah. like, come on, go with the flow. Like don't, don't make waves. Just like give me, give me the, the easy forgiveness I'm seeking and like just move on with things. Mm. Yeah. All right, th- those are the only. Yeah, I'm done. Two, f- two fours and a two point five. I have been so far much harsher on these books than you got, than you have been, and now True. Steven. Well, I I'm, just. It's like food. I'll eat anything. Get it? I'll read anything. No, no, I got it. So, <laughs> Aaron, it's your turn to pick the next book. Do oh, you have yeah. one in mind? Um. I've I've had a few. Let me whip out my Goodreads here. Maybe we could use Steven as like a, a tiebreaker. Um, what are we tiebreaking between you and you? <laughs> yes, between me between and Between what books we should read that he's yeah, yeah. Um, There was one. Didn't I tell you about one just the other day, Rob? I don't listen to you, man. <laughs> Uh, Just because you I guys wanted have to a read, together doesn't mean he listens to anything you say. I was thinking, yeah. I was thinking Don Quixote. Oh, you yes, you did mention that, but then you mentioned how much that was a bad idea, and I was kind of hoping you'd stick with that. <laughs> yeah, because it's fucking long as shit. It's supposed to be really good. Uh, I can't imagine anything good. written in the 1600s is going to actually be good in in contemporary sense. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows, Rob? Um, very, very worried about the style of English that was spoken then. Um, so a few things that I had on my list. One of them is Atlas Shrugged. <sighs> and it's because I want to be... So part of the thing about being fairly liberal is that I want to also be at least open to reading things from the other point of view. And that's like a bastion of uh, libertarianness. I feel like. <laughs> um, and so that was one. One of the ones that I wanted to read uh, that's on my list is Thank You for Being Late by Friedman. Have you heard of that, Rob? Um, if it's a defense of people who aren't punctual, <laughs> I, I already it, disagree. I, I think it might be. 
Um, well, here it is. In in his most ambitious work to date, Friedman shows that we have entered an age of dizzying acceleration and explains how to live in it. Due to an exponential increase in computing power, climbers atop Mount Everest enjoy excellent cell phone service and self-driving cars. So the subtitle is An Optimist Guide to Thriving in the Age of Acceleration. Um, so another, is it a defense of slowing down, or is it a defense of being late? I don't think it's a defense of being late. I think it's it's an well, we'd have to read it guide to, be sure. to the yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's in there. Um, I've put a tale of two cities in there because I've always wanted to reread it. Um, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, and the. Last one that I think you would probably be most interested in is The Color of Magic, which is Disc, uh, Discworld Book One. The only one of those that I have literally no interest in is Don Quixote. Don, okay, Don so you, have no, you have no interest in Don Quixote. Rarely ever is the first of anything the best version, so if that's the first novel, it's probably also one of the worst. <laughs> And it's famous for being first, maybe not so much for being good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so Don Quixote's out. Um... The reason why I didn't cross out Atlas Shrugged is because you are right. I am curious. Like, one of our, like, a major political family is literally named after these people. So, finding out what's going on there... I, I guess I should. I don't think I'm going to like so, it, but I think I should find out. Um, Discworld. So it's uh, Atlas Shrugged is long. It's 1,200 pages. That's longer than Infinite Jest. <laughs> so fuck. Uh, I don't know what it is. Like what the audible. Remember, we told ourselves that we give ourselves a month. That per is so long. Fifteen hours. I'm actually kind of curious now what it is here. Um, Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> it is 62 hours. That's four hours that, longer. That sounds like something I need to read on my own fucking time. Yeah, I think it might be. Are, are you um, going to let Ayn Rand like, consume like three entire days of your life? You'll never yeah, get that time back. <laughs> I know. Um, A Tale of Two Cities is 489 pages. Uh, honestly, I could be for any of them. I I can pretty much guarantee that the one that I will enjoy most is The Color of Magic. Like, Yeah, always... but maybe this isn't about what we're going to enjoy. Maybe this is about getting in touch with like higher-end culture. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying that's what we should do. I would obviously, the Discworld series is something that I've meant to read and I'd be interested in reading because I've never read it. But, you know, I remember hating The Tale of Two Cities. I'm wondering if 15 years of perspective would change my mind on it. Let's see. How many pages do we got here in A Tale of Two Cities? Four. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I already said. 489. Steven, do you have any thoughts on this a selection of books? Yeah. Um, I, vote, Dis- have I you... vote Discworld. You vote Discworld? Have you read any of them? No. Um... So, yeah. Those aren't very long, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. Let's see the... F- 
The Color of Magic, which is the first book in Discworld, is 228 pages. I don't think Terry Pratchett ever wrote very long books. It wasn't really his style. He just wrote a lot of books. One of my problems is eventually starting these series and not finishing them is going to kill me OCD style. Um, Do you want to read the next book of the... I mean, I'm in the middle on it. It was uh, the Calderon series. Of series. Calderon. Yeah, it was good. Codex Alera series, I think. Um, I'd rather try out one of these. What about Trevor Noah's book? Do you have any interest in that? I've only ever read one celebrity memoir, and it was really good. So mm. I'm kind of feeling open to that. That's 304 pages. 4.44 on Goodreads. Tale of Two Cities is 3.8. Thank You for Being Late is 3.9. Atlas Shrugged is 3.7. Color of Magic is 4. Dude, let's do it. Let's do fucking Born a Crime. That's what All I'm right. leaning towards right now. Fine um, with me. The Holy Bible has 4.66. I feel like that's... <laughs> Can you imagine giving the Holy Bible zero stars? Like... <laughs> I didn't like this. Zero stars. I feel like that's too Plot's many. That's really hard like, to I'd follow. give it a, maybe like a, solid, <laughs> a solid two. Did not develop the characters in a <laughs> consistent way. One thing, though, that I didn't even tell you that's on my list is Inferno, because I figured you wouldn't want to read that. Don't even know what it is. If you don't want to read a book written in 1600s, and you definitely don't want to read a book written in the 1300s. Oh, Dante's Inferno? Not yeah. just Inferno? Yeah. yeah. And the epic... <laughs> Dante's yeah. Inferno? Yes. Yeah, you're right. I don't want to read that. Okay, Born a Crime, it is. Let me put that in my currently reading. I'm pretty excited about it. That concludes our recap of Handmaid's Tale. I had to pause there again to make sure I got it right. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. Um, and and uh, our next book is going to be Trevor Noah's uh, autobiography. Is it an autobiography if it's only like half his life? Is it still autobiography? Does the biography... I guess autobiographies can't be after you're dead since <laughs> it wouldn't be auto anymore. Very true. Unless it's like a an autobiography that's like a compiled collection of your diary or something, then I guess technically you could have a posthumous auto autobiography. That'd but, be really... But it wouldn't cover the end. It'd be really morbid if someone was like, well, I'm probably going to die soon. I should write my autobiography. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I bet that happens a lot, though, yeah. right? Like, that's probably where a lot of the end-of-life memoirs are coming from is, oh, wow, it's coming to an end. Time to tell everybody what I did. Yeah, yeah. they're just not explicit <laughs> about it. <laughs> anyway, uh, I hope that you enjoyed Handmaid's Tale as much as Aaron and Stephen did and not as little as Rob did. Um, and I hope that you will enjoy Born a Crime with us next month. I've gotten good feedback from people who have read it. Trevor Noah's book or Handmaid's Tale? Uh, Trevor Noah's book. Okay. I actually don't know. I've never discussed personally with anyone about Handmaid's Tale besides this conversation we just had. Um, actually, do you know what? This brings up a good point, though. I feel like we should always have a guest on Book Review Day. 
That would require us to always have someone who read the book we, re- well, we wanted so to review. Well, so here's the thing. Either like it could be someone that emails, oh, or, we just, or we just force Steven to do it with us every time. I would time. totally do it 100%. <laughs> All right, well, then I guess that means that if Steven's going to be with us, then he should probably get a rotation in the book pick. That's true. That is true. <laughs> well, wait, should we back up on Born a Crime then? No. I don't okay. want to record anything else. Okay, okay, okay. But I would also say extend. Maybe we should also extend the in- invitation. If you read a book along with us and you feel like you would like to join as well, come join the three of us and talk about it. Let's be honest. At this point, it was two white guys talking. Now it's three. How could it so, be better? <laughs> so book days are even more diverse than normal yeah let's just keep reading a bunch of like feminist related literature and be like as three yeah. men here's and our commenting opinion. on it yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, say. I honestly when i picked handmaid's tale i had no idea at all what it was so, like i didn't even know it was set in the future i didn't know it was like scarlet letter i didn't know anything other than it was a tv show that people were talking about based on a book Based all on I like based on like a trailer I saw on I guess Hulu because I was wrong, um, I knew it was about something that would have been religiously oppressive to women. I remember seeing one picture of a woman in a red dress with a bonnet on. So imagine my surprise when I found out it was actually in the future. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, okay, so yeah, if if you if you think a book calls to you. And want to join in on the discussion as well. Please feel free to tweet us because we check that all the time. Just kidding. You should do Facebook. I bet if someone Um, actually did tweet at us, I'd probably get a notification on my phone. That's true. But no one's tested that yet, though. Yeah, just do Facebook. Um, And then other than that, in a month, we we will reconvene and discuss Born a Crime with Steven. And that episode will, what, probably release on, like, the 22nd of February? Sounds like a good day to me. All right, cool. Uh, Hey, Steven, got anything else? I got nothing.